Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Father God, we thank you. We just bless and give you praise tonight. Once again, we come before you that we might be instructed in the word of life. We ask God for that humbleness of heart, meekness of heart, so that you can impact us as you so ordained in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Alright, this is uh, the part three of our series on crucifying the flesh. Part number three, and uh, our test is Matthew 16, from 24 to 26. And so we read, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever we save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man provided if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Amen. And uh, I try to make us understand the verse 25 is key. But whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And I try to make us understand that already this is fulfilled because we lose our lives. Until we lose our life, we can't find Christ. The fact that we find Christ means we lose our lives already. Amen. Whosoever will lose his life shall find it and that we have done. If you never lose your life, you can be a Christian. Amen? Praise God. So we lose our life the day we made a choice, or God called us to Himself and we responded to the call. We lose our lives. We don't have any life anymore. We got another life, different from the life we had before. Well, if you lose this life, we'll find it. And so, what's the life that we find? Look at Colossians again, Colossians 3, look at 3 and 4. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. Praise God. For you are dead, and your life is here with Christ in who? In God. What is your life? Christ is your life. Look at the next verse. Verse 4. Praise God. Verse 3 say you are dead. Verse 4 say when Christ, who is our life? Who is your life? Christ is your life. So he said in Mighty 25, if you lose your life, you find, you find it. And if you, if you, if you have your life, you lose it. What I mean is, you lose your life, you find Christ. Is that okay? Christ now becomes your life. So what did we find when we lose our lives? We find Christ to be our lives. So that scripture is fulfilled for every believer. Oh, happy God. Whoever attempts to accept the cause of God upon his life 
This scripture is already fulfilled in Matthew 26. Whoever should lose his life will find it. Whoever will find his life will lose it. In other words, if you hold back until the life you have, yes, you lose your real life, which is Christ, because Christ is our life. From the very beginning, Christ is our life. Are we here? Praise God. All right. So I need it together. It's so important. So it's not something that you should be thinking about. It's not something that you should be brooding about. It's not something you should be struggling to the, oh, well, I need to live my life. I need to live my life so that I can find a life. You know, it's not talking of eternity. Because that's, that's the misconception. It's like saying, okay, if you don't find Christ, okay, you lose eternity. I mean, if you don't lose your life, you lose eternity, whatever the case may be. They think it has to do warfare then on the other side. Lose your life, you find it when you're resurrected or when you get to heaven. It's not saying that. You have, as it were, two lives. The life in Adam and then you have the life in Christ. You had a life before. So he's saying you lose that life, which is the life of Adam. What do you find? You find Christ to be your new life, which is your real life from the one. Praise the Lord. And so I try to explain again because I'm trying to do this as maybe the last uh, part to this. So that's why I'm giving you all of this summary. I need you to get that. So that scripture is fulfilled any day, any time you accept to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross you are supposed to follow or take up your Christ doesn't mean go get the body, go get some problems and allow some issues to weigh you down. And then somebody said that's your cross. Uh, maybe your marital problems and oh, that's your cross. You know, whatever the case may be. Well, it's fine. Any cross you feel you are carrying at this moment, it's okay. But Jesus was not referring to all of that, if you will. Amen. He just simply said, you follow me, get out of the life of Adam, and then die with me even I'm going to die. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, I'm have my cross, I'm taking along. I'm going to carry my cross to go, but you join me there. It was just an invitation. So that is past. And I remember reminding you, uh, what the Lord shared with me some time ago. Any cross you carry, that you can see the future of the cross, you can see the glory at the end of that cross, it's more from God. How do I know that? Go get with me to Hebrews 12. Look at verse number 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. And then you'll be able to see something there. Hebrews 12, number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Did you see that? The joy that was set before him, he did what? He endured the cross. If God gives you a cross, he gives you a joy, not only to carry it, but to know that at the end of that cross, there's going to be glory. Does it make sense? So, if somebody tells you what you are passing through is your cross, and yet you haven't seen any joy there, listen, the joy is what enables you to go through any cross you are passing through if it's given to you by God. The, remember the scripture tells us, the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. So the strength to go through any cross that you're carrying must come from God. So if you think you're carrying a cross and there's no joy in it, then you must know that it's not from God. Praise God. And ultimately the end 
of any cross you're carrying is what? Glory. is joy. Jesus saw what we finally come to be when he goes to the cross. The other side of the cross. The Lord showed him what is going to happen on the other side of the cross. So you can't carry any cross in any way and you don't see the tomorrow of that cross. It's not from God. So it's either the devil gave you that cross or you took the cross upon yourself. Amen? I have always shared this with you. And I wish I ought to remind you regularly. I've been teaching some series on the wilderness through Facebook. Understand this. Don't ever tell me you are in a wilderness which is part of your cross. And you are there suffering. You are going through pressure. All of the I mean, what you call the evils of life are befalling you and you are rejoicing that where you are in the wilderness. You are living in deception. God's wilderness, just like the cross, is a place where he provides for you. But the children of Israel in the wilderness, the Bible says, none of them were feeble. By implication, God was taking care of them in the wilderness. Manna was there. Their shoes were not worn out. There was water from the rock for them to drink. You can't be in the wilderness God sent to you or send you into without provisions. That is not God. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, you see, uh, what do you call him? Elijah. He went to the wilderness. What happened? Ravens were bringing food. I'm not if you remember. Good. The brook was there. When the brook dried out, God sent him to a woman to be fed. That's wilderness. Are you telling me you're in the wilderness and you're going through all of the things that you are not supposed to experience in life by reason of the death of Jesus Christ and you're rejoicing in it and then, no, 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 no. You're calling pity, sympathy, party. You are not in God's wilderness. Anytime you're in God's wilderness, oh my. The things that follows you, God makes provision. Is that okay? He makes provision. He gives you direction. Every problem in the wilderness is solved. In fact, the wilderness is a place where you hear God regularly. Now you're going through wilderness. Maybe you're fasting. You say you're waiting. All of those things. That makes no sense. Not now when Jesus died and resurrected. Give you another life. Even when Jesus went to the wilderness, it was the spirit that led him there. He didn't choose to go there. Matthew chapter 4. The spirit led him into the wilderness. And what's the mind? Anytime God leads you, he gives you strength, he gives you hope, he gives you joy. And there's already a specific time, 40 days, 40 nights. If I went, when, when Elijah was to move, the angel said, you better eat now because the journey is far. How many of you understand that? That's wilderness from God. You don't, you don't go through wilderness, going through praise or suffering, all of those things and say, oh, you're rejoicing. I'm suffering for Christ. Come on. Get out of that. That is not God's wilderness. It's either your choice or the devil gave that to you. You having a cross? Yes. It must be something that gives you joy. For the joy of the Lord is a strength. By reason of the joy that you have in the midst of that cross, that you can go through it. Praise God. Are we together? Alright. So, the cross is not just your flesh, 
You must, you know, kill yourself. You must do all of those things, whatever, like I keep saying. No, no, no. You have a new self. Amen. You have a new self. I told you that before. And uh, we try to look at Ephesians 2. Uh, where we summarized from last week, Ephesians 2, verse number 1 to 5. You remember verse number 1, it tells you precisely that you've been quickened. You were dead, had been quickened. Can you take this from another translation, verse number 5? I mean, verse number 1. Can you take it from another translation? Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Okay? Alright. Take it from the... Uh, okay, look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Disobedient. The verse 2 says... Uh, in which at that time no 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 that's too long take the NLT okay you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commandment of the powers of the unseen world he is a spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God now what is the next thing that you have it when you look at the verse 1 you've been quickened you've been given life what is the meaning of that it means you got a new heart. Everything you were doing before was because of the kind of heart you were having. But now you came to Christ, you receive a new heart. The heart responds only to God. It doesn't respond to the prince or the power of the air any longer. I don't know if you're getting that. You are a change man. You got a new heart, a new spirit. Those who were, when you were living there, remember you have the life that has to respond or was responding to the kind of heart that you had before. Amen. Like, let me show you what was in your heart before. To which you repent as you came out of. Mark chapter 7, look at verse 21. This was the heart you were carrying before. From from within, and out of the person's heart came evil thoughts. Did you get that? Okay. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envious land of pride, and what? Foolishness. Where did they come from? From the heart of man. This was the heart you had before. Before verse 1 of Ephesians took place. You are no longer here. You got a new heart. If this was supposed to be a flesh, that means this can't work anymore because you got a new heart. Are you with me? Because this was a product of your heart. But now you have a second sizer, the heart of flesh, not the heart of stone. So you have been quickened. You got a new heart. That's why you're sitting together with Christ where? In heavenly places. So you don't have any time for the struggle to kill that which is called flesh. Because you have a new heart, that means you have a new flesh. Praise God. Are we still here? All right. Okay. So, um, what do I have to give to you now? Again, like we said in Colossians 3, you are dead and your life is treated Christ who in God. Praise God. You put on Christ. Christ is now your life. Remember, if you lose your life, you find it. If you find your life, you lose it. So the life you were enjoying before, because of the evil heart, 
you lose it. You find your real life, which is Christ. Amen? So Christ is alive. Now let me quickly say this to you. You didn't give your life to Christ. That may be a strong statement. Christ gave you his life. When you lose your life, you lose it. You didn't give it to him. Oh, come on. I mean, do you understand that? If you lose your life, you find it. You, you, you didn't give it to Christ. He didn't take your life. He gave you his life in place of your life. So when you come out and say, when I gave my life to Jesus, you don't seem to understand what you're saying. Which life did you give to him? Your life was a dead life. Your life was a life that was the reward of your life for the way you live was wrought. The children of wrought. You were meant to be brutalized. You were meant to be killed. You were meant to be beaten. He just gave you his life. So I think we need to change that language because you never gave your life. You don't even have the power to give your life in the first place. Do you understand what I'm saying? You had a master you were following, that you were obeying. As a slave to that master, you don't have rights. Praise God. That is why in the book of John, Jesus said, No man can come unto me except the Father does what draws him. The word to draw means to drag in the Hebrew or in the Greek. You were dragged by God. He found you and he dragged you. You never give your life. He gave his life to you. He just picked you from the dustbin and gave his life to you. When I give my life to Jesus, how can you? Which life did you give? You lose your life. You never gave it to Jesus. Amen. So he gave you his life and that is salvation. I mentioned that to Simon ago. Jesus did not impute this life to us. He impacted this life to us. I mean, if you remember that. There's a big difference between imputing and impacting. He gave us his life. He didn't just impute it to us like righteousness was imputed or accredited to the, right, I mean, to, to the life of Abraham and then God called him righteous. We were not imputed with the life of God. We were impacted with the life of God. He gave his life to us. Praise God. Amen. So in the true sense, whatever is wrong with your life is not you. Mm. And that's another confusion for you. But it's good that you get confused so that you can have sense. Amen. Come on. Did you hear what I said? Eh? Whatever is wrong with you is not you. Because that is not you. Your life is Christ. Did you understand that? And that will be difficult for you now to grasp. Your old man is still playing tricks on you, but that's not you. You don't have to recognize your old man. That's why we read last week, say, recon yourself to be dead. Praise God. And if this is far away from whatever people teach is. Uh, but let me show you something in the simple definition of the word flesh. We often see flesh only to be maybe immorality, 
stealing, all of those things we read in First Corinthians, I mean, uh, March, Mark rather. But let me really give you a simple definition of flesh. First Corinthians one twenty six. Whole glory. First Corinthians one twenty six. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Praise God. What do, what do you mean by here? What do you mean by this rather? Look at it. Not many wise men after the flesh. So, what was the flesh? What is the flesh here? In simple definition. The flesh has to do with your, your, let me say, your background, your achievement in life, your success in life, your status in this society. Did you understand that? Good. So, your flesh is simply your resume. That is your curriculum vitae, whatever thing, you understand that? Whatever thing that gives you power, glory, at the expense of the power of the glory of God. That's your flesh. Your educational qualification. In other words, if you are depending on your educational qualification, your pedigree, where you came from, in the society where you are born into, the family where you are born into, you're depending on the flesh. That's why scripture will tell you the arm of flesh will fail you. What's the arm of flesh? Human achievement, success, and ability. Is that making sense? Praise the Lord. Good. And these are the things you lose. These are the things you finally dropped off. You come to start believing that all of this in amount to nothing, like you can find in the book of uh, Philippians 3. People will read that. <coughs> Excuse me. Amen? Come on, are you here with me? Right. So, simple definition. Well, you see, you're calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh. What mean after the flesh? Jesus did not invite or call you as a Christian because you were mighty in the world. No. He didn't call you as a Christian because you have some things to depend on. You are very big in the society. You are recognized in the society. You have a very solid education. Some PhDs and... Amen? You are maybe a governor somewhere. Whatever the case may be. That is not why God called you. All of those things are your flesh. Not mighty, mighty men after the flesh are called. Amen. So... What is a flesh? The flesh is simply the worldly way of feeling or thinking. And that includes your religion. Whatever thing you think you have before, your philosophy. Everything that you have ended up depending on as an individual. The thing that that is your life, that what gives you the boost. What gives you your ego. That's your life. That is your flesh. And Jesus didn't call you because of your mightiness. Hallelujah. So we talk about the law, we talk about religion, we talk about anything you have in society. 
is a way of feeling or thinking. That's your flesh. The old way that makes you feel okay. The strength and ability or whatever you have acquired in society that makes you feel satisfied. That's your flesh. Amen. But all of this they didn't describe who you are. Who did I say you are? You are Christ. Christ is your life. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Your new self is Christ. In other words, if there's anything you must boast of now is who is Christ. So, anything that promotes you outside of Christ is your flesh. It's so simple. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's look at the resume of, uh, of, uh, of Apostle Paul again. Philippians 3 verse number 3. Let's look at the description he gave about his life. Which has to do with his flesh. Religiously speaking in any way. And then his position in society. So Philippians 3 verse number 3. For we are the circumcision. Which worship God in the spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus. I have no confidence in the flesh. Did you see that? Have no confidence in the flesh. What is the flesh that he was talking about? He is saying here, we worship God in the spirit. Remember John chapter 4. Jesus said, those who worship God, must worship God in spirit and in truth. Not by law codes, not by designated uh, attitude, whatever the case may be. No. And Paul said, we worship God in the spirit. They together. Right. We have no confidence in the flesh. What is the flesh that Paul was referring to? Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he had, therefore he must first trust in the flesh, I am more. Are you getting that? Now I'm trying to give you the summary. You understand what the flesh is. I mean, for you to understand when he said, take up your cross and follow me. The things you have to lose. So here is Paul saying, if there's any man that want to be proud of the flesh, I should be number one. So what should make him to be proud? Look at verse four. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Oh, glory. Are you there with me? Go down again. Look at the next verse. But what things were gained to me? If you lose your life, you find it. Did you get that? Whatever were gained to me, then I can't lose for who? For Christ. That's all. You lose your life, you find Christ. That's what he was saying in Matthew 26. So Paul lose everything. What did he lose? Being a Pharisee, being a Hebrew of Hebrew, all of those things that describe his weight in the society. Remember, not many after the flesh were called. Did you get the meaning now? Paul lost everything. So your religious background is not what you should be proud of. Everything that is religion, everything that has to do with the Old Testament, in quote, 
the law, being a Jew, being a rabbi, all of those things constitutes your flesh. It's a word of life. Now you've not been there, but I mean, you've not been a Jewish person, you've not been whatever description that Paul is talking about. So you say, Pastor, well, I don't think this concerns me because I've not been a Jewish man or something like that. You believe in yourself because of the society you grew up in. Everything that was giving you confidence and joy in the society, everything that describes your weight, what makes men to recognize you was your flesh. What makes you feel important in the midst of people? Because of your background, your pedigree, that's your flesh. If you can lose that, that means you retain your life. And you retain your life, you lose Christ. So when you follow Jesus to the cross, you count everything but lost, according to Paul. Are we here? Praise the Lord. Now I'm trying to make you understand when you look at that statement, take up your cross and follow me. And then you conclude, well, you have to go through pressure, you have to go through pain. You have to allow some things to buffet you regularly. You have to do the best you can to crucify the flesh. And, uh, oh man, we've got to do it. Now I'm going to read a scripture that tells you about this. Some of which people actually quote. And now it's Colossians chapter 3, again, that's number 5. You know, one of the wonderful scriptures in those days, yes, I was looking at that so strongly, the way it is written. Colossians 3, verse number 5. Mortify, the word mortify means to kill. So, how do you kill the flesh? Is what I want to show you. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. So, when you talk about the earth, you are not talking about where the tree grows. The earth is you, your old man. Are you there? Good. Why? Because as you born the image of the earthy, you have to bear the image of what? The heavenly. So he said, multiply therefore your members, which are upon the earth. What are the members? Fornication or cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Kill them. These are your members that are in your flesh. But I want to show you how you can kill these things. So with this said, the word of God comment on the children of disobedience. Remember, Children of disobedience equal those who obey the cause of the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2 verse 2. Remember that? Yeah. That's what children of disobedience is. But remember, you are not anymore children of disobedience. So what Paul is trying to say, listen to me. This was supposed to be your old life. This is not your new life. Amen. And he says, But now, as upon you also put off this anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you are put off. Praise God. You are no longer having it. You seeing that you have is past tense. So it's like a reminder. This this is not your life. <laughs> Praise God. Oh. Seeing that you have put off the old man which is dead, you've done that already. Where did he do it? 
when you went to the cross. So, Paul is just trying to say, can I remind you, you died with Christ, you rose with Christ, you are a new being. Can I remind you about that? He's not asking you to go do anything. He's trying to say you've done it before. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Look at verse 10. And you have put on what? A new man. Which is renewed well in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is what I love about that. How do you put on the new man? Be renewed in the knowledge after him that created him. Why is that supposed to mean? After the man that said, let's make mine an image and after what? After likeness. Praise God. Are we here? <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, let's say it from message translation. Long reading. I would like us to do that. We've got a few more time, minutes to do that. Message translation. Verse number three. I'm taking it up from number three. Message translation. Let's just look at it from here. Your old life is dead. Can I hear an amen to that? So that's the old man which have to do with the earth man. He's already dead. You've got to recognize that. Amen. Your old life is dead. That is your flesh. Does it make sense? First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.26 Christ are not men, mighty men after the flesh. The old man is dead. And Paul said, well, I've got to be confident in the flesh. I'm Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrew, seconds out on the eighth day, touching the church, particles in the church. All of these things are can't but dunks. The old man is dead. Your flesh is dead. Let me remind you, that's what Paul is doing here. And he said, your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in who? In God. So your real you is hidden on your inside. You are draped with this flesh body over your real self. Hey Amen. Are you there with me? Anything happening is not you. <laughs> Uh, it may be difficult to grasp, but that's the point. Hallelujah. Your real you is on your inside. Once you are born again, you are a new creature. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. When Christ, your real life, remember, oh Glory. Shows up again. You see, the emphasis for you to remember who you are. Who are you? Your real life is where? In Christ. It can't be seen. But that's your real you. Hallelujah. When it shows up upon the earth, you show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Praise God. Are you there with me? When your real life shows up, you're going to show up with him. You know what that means? The real life of Jesus, which is the Christ, showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Did you get that? His real life. Remember, when Peter was speaking and Jesus said, Matthew said, who do men say that I am? And then the one of the prophets, one of this, one of the 
Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ. He didn't say you are Jesus. I don't know if you remember that. Thou art the Christ, the Son. Oh, glory. Jesus was a lamb. Christ, the Son. And Christ was resident to Jesus. The real life of Jesus was the Christ. And what happened on Mount of Transfiguration? The Christ showed up, the true Son of God, in glory. And that is your real life. So when, you, when your real life shows up, or when Jesus shows up, you're going to show up with him. What's that supposed to be? You put on immortality. A glorified body. All of these are everything they drop off. How many of you know how snake changes his skin? That is just the best way I can describe this for you. The fall of the snake is not the snake. When some snake grows to a point, they change their skin. They just walk away. Glory. I see that at transfiguration. Huh. Are you following what I'm saying here? So that you can go to the farm and see the falls of a snake all lying there. The length of the snake. You understand that? You say, ah, snake was here. This is a snake. No, that's the fall of the snake. That's not the life of the snake. That's not the real snake. The snake is gone. This thing will drop. Oh, glory. When your real you shows up, this one goes off. You put on a glorified body. A new body. This is just a garment you're wearing. Let's, let's read them. Verse 5. That means killing off everything connected with the word of death. That means killing. What, what does it mean killing? Because your real life is Christ, it means killing. I don't think it in this. When your real life shows up, that means killing. Oh, glory. I, I, you understand that? Very good. So what kills, what multiplies, is when you put on the new man. It's not what you do religiously. It's not how many times you're going to fast. It's not how many times you go to the mountain. That's not going to kill the flesh. You kill the flesh by allowing your new man to stand up. Are we together? Praise God. That means killing off everything connected with the word of death. Sexual immorality, impurity, loss, doing whatever you feel like when you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That is a life shared by things and feeling instead of by God. Amen. Anything that attracts your fancy, you go for it. That is not the way of God. And so, scripture will say, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. Book of Romans, chapter 8, the Bible says, He that have not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. So, Walking and doing things outside of the spirit of Christ, simply the world, and he said the way for you to kill your flesh, which is the world, the way of the world, the way you feel, is to have your real man, which is on your inside, stand up. That is the way of killing. It's not what you do religiously. It's not what you try to do. No, that's not going to kill anything. Praise God. Are we here? (laughs) 
When I was writing on the wilderness, let's go to the wilderness, then an, an incident came to my mind. Here was a brother there at Burkukude who said he has a call of God upon his life. And so he's in the wilderness, he's waiting. You know, my assistant pastor then was working with uh, NMPC, was a friend to the guy. That's how I got to know him. So this guy was responsible, in quotes, of taking care of this guy's family. When there's no food, they call on him, he gives them food. You know, and the guy was always indoors. He's waiting. He said, the wilderness is waiting on the Lord. You understand that? Rent will expire. My associate pastor will pay. You know, some days I remember when I moved in because he was living in a kind of little place at the market there when I met him. I said, man, come on, you can't stay in this kind of a place. This is not your kind of person, your status. You're living here, you know, kind of room and parlor, just by the market there. No, you can live like this. You call of God, you have what it takes. Sister, what do you want me to do? Move out. And then I got a flat, three bedroom flat, I'm going to estate, I moved out. I didn't say, man, you saved my life. Everybody, first tie the guy used in life, I gave him the tie. Dress well. Hmm? You look good. You got to look good. Love yourself as you love your neighbor. Love yourself, isn't it? Hallelujah. <laughs> and he said, oh, pastor, you changed my life. I said, that's the way it should be. You know, so here's the story. This man was there. One year, two years, I got to know them. And he's waiting on the Lord. He has the fourth child. He's waiting on the Lord. You have the second child. You have the witness. You are making children. Oh, glory. Then I told him, I said, you know what? You are encouraging laziness in the life of this man. He will leave his family, go to Andoste, say, go to the mountain. Want to meet with God. Not once, not twice. He will travel out, leave the family. He's always on white. He's waiting on the Lord. He's in the wilderness. What a deception. Religion. Then I told my friend, listen. You continue to support this man. You are supporting laziness and evil. This guy knows that you will always provide. You are now become his God. Who called him? For how many years God called him? He's in the house. He's not going anywhere. Fast and praying. And in the midst of fast and praying, you have children coming out. Somebody's buying the baby food for you, buying the pampas for you. You're waiting on the Lord. Deception. By the time I told my friend, my friend, I went to him, I told him, hey, brother, listen. This thing got to end and all that. Oh, yeah, the Lord just spoke to me that I have to go to Ondo State. He parked and left town because somebody stopped paying his rent. Hell like deception. Hallelujah. What am I trying to say? The way of thinking, the way of life that is not of Christ, you kill when you receive Christ into your life. Verse 6 says, and because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But now, you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talks. Get this thing out of your thinking. Don't lie to one another. You are done with that old life. Did you see the description? It's like a fitted set of e-fitted clothes. You strip off and put in fire. Verse number 10. You are, I mean, now you are dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator. With his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Praise God. 
Did you get that? Everything Paul is writing here is just a reminder. Amen? Your action is not your real life. Your real life is within you. And he said, if your real life stand up, you won't be able to take those actions anymore. That's just what he's saying. Hallelujah. So get the point right. Look at Galatians, I mean Genesis 4 verse 7. Genesis 4 verse number 7. Amen. Okay. God was speaking to Abraham, to Cain, when he wanted to kill Abraham. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou does not well, see light at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. That means you have power to do what? To rule over. That's what I, why I want you to see that. You have power to rule over. And they have to do with your thoughts, your thinking. By implication, you have power to control your thoughts, being in Christ. Are we here? And look at this. By implication, there is no time you get into temptation and God doesn't speak to you. Praise God. This is where you see people would do some things and what's the next thing they say? The devil made me do it. So we say I had a voice. Have you heard us stories or testimonies before? When I want to make confessions, the devil made me to do it. I had a voice talking to me. I've only told people, you always hear God, I mean, devil telling you to do bad things. You never had God to tell you to do good things. Isn't that one spirit you are having? Praise God. Are we here? Right. So here the scripture is saying, telling Cain, listen, friend, I mean, my son, you have authority over these thoughts that is coming to your mind. So by implication, when wrong thoughts come to your mind, you have authority to rebuke those thoughts. You just walk it away. That is not my life. You want to tell a lie? The thoughts came and said, that is not my life. I'm not a liar. You draw the line. Anything across is no, not accepted. That is not my life. That's all. You don't require anything. It's just the authority of Christ in your life it's more than enough to reject any thought that is coming to you that is not of God. Hallelujah. Are we still here? Let's run through a few scriptures again and then we're going to pack it up from there. Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. Let's take it from the message translation as well. Romans 5, I mean Romans 7. Romans 7 verse number 15. Romans, I'm reading from 15. I'm just going to read through. I look at this a little bit more simplified for you to just understand the struggle that Pete and Paul was going through, which is what most people call flesh as well. But in the truth side, it was religion. And uh, so, Romans 7:15, right? Okay. What I don't understand about myself is that I decided, I decide one way. But then I act in another. Doing things I absolutely despise. Follow it. 
So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself, and they do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. It has to do with the laws of God. So now he's discussing God's laws. But members, I will make you understand. You'll find the book of Psalm. We're going to read that. Verse 17. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and of the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. Now, you know, when you read 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells you that a power of sin is the law. How many of you understand that? All death, where is at stake? All death, where is a power? For the power of sin is what? The law. So what do you think Paul is actually struggling with here? The law. Amen? Look at verse 18. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I'll do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It has to do with his conscience. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. It's 22. I truly delight in God's command. I just want to run through it because I have just five minutes more. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Something else. Not every part of me want to go with, want to do bad. Something else is happening. It's that part of me covertly rebel just when I least expect it. They take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. It's like I'm drowning. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradiction where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So what is this self that he's talking about here? In the true sense. Psalm 51. Let's just verse number. We can look at verse number 5. Or verse number 1. If you will. Verse 1. Just take it from the King James. There's an emphasis I want to give there. Have mercy on me, O God. Now, do you know what? It's right in this. Because Nathan confronted him when he killed Uriah's wife. That's why he's writing this now. Are you listening? Good. Have mercy on me, O God, according to their loving kindness, according unto the multitude of their tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from thy sin or from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Right? 
against thee, thee only have I seen and done this evil in thy sight, that thou may be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaping where in iniquity, and in sin did my mother do what? Conceive me. And this is what Paul was struggling with. Are you listening? In sin did my mother conceive me. Doesn't mean the mother was a prostitute. What he's saying is, the factor of sin from Adam was in my mother. And when my mother conceived me, that same factor entered into my body. Are you listening? Right. I took this particular sin factor. Remember, if he says sins, he says sin. So the sin was not the killing of Uriah's wife or sleeping with Uriah's wife. That was not it. He's talking about the original sin in the garden, which was in everyone's member. Are you listening to me? The mother had it, and when the mother got conceived, it transmitted that same thing to me. So I'm what I've done is as a result of what I received naturally from my mother. And this is now what was difficult for Paul to operate with. In other words, he can't even keep the law because this particular factor was also working against him. And so, when you look at John, you find that the Bible talks about the Lamb of God that taketh away what? The sin. So when he says, cleanse me, when you look, when you look at this. So, uh, verse number two. Watch me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from what? From my sin, not sins, from my sin. What is that supposed to mean? It's just praying a simple prayer. Let Jesus come. Hallelujah. And when Jesus comes, he washes us clean from what? Our sins and what? Our iniquities. And so Hebrews 8, we say, your sins are your iniquity. Will all what? I will remember no more. So the prayer was answered when Jesus came. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. Let's just finish this reading through. Romans again, chapter 8 now. When you cross in from chapter 7, say, who will help me with this situation? Go to chapter 8 and the verse number 1. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, give me the King James. I mean, uh, my message translation. Praise the Lord. Remember, in, in verse 25, he said, who will deliver me? Who is going to help me? I can help myself. Just like David was praying, cleanse me. Just do the best you can. Look at it. With the arrival. So, the prayer or the request of, of Paul in chapter 7. Are you following that? It's now coming up where? In chapter 8. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. That faithful dilemma is what? Resolved. That trouble, that struggle is over. Is that okay? Praise God. Those who enter into Christ being, yes, for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. Verse 2. A new position. I mean, a new power is in operation. That's the power that God was telling Cain, you have over that thing. Is that okay? A new power is in operation. 
the spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, filling you or freeing you from the fatal life of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death, which has to do with the law. The wages of sin is that you sin, you die. You sin, you die. Is that okay? He said you're free from that. Then verse 3. God went for the jugular when he sent his son. He didn't deal with the problem as some remote thing or remote and unimportant in, in, in Jesus. He personally took on the human condition entering the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to get it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. That law always ended up being used as a bound aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now, what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing where? In us. Instead of struggling to be an overcomer. That's what I keep on saying. Instead of doubling effort, what do you do? Okay. Ah, I don't want, I don't want to be telling lies anymore. And then you went into fasting, three days, four days. Oh, I don't want to be telling lies anymore. Right? You finish all of that. You find out you're lying. No, no, no. Okay, I don't want to be telling lies anymore. Go to fast seven days. You double the effort from three days to seven days. You finish your seven days. In less than two weeks, you're lying again. Oh, no. I don't want to be telling lies. Double your fast into 10 days. From 10 days to 15 days. You're just doubling. All because of one thing. But the thing is, you can't overcome that. No matter how many times you double your effort to overcome anything in the flesh, in quote, you surely can. The only thing that enables you to double, I mean, to overcome that is simply to believe what the Spirit in you is doing for you right now. Is it making sense? Praise the Lord. Look at verse 5. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscles but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit in them living and breathing God. Verse 6. Obsession we serve in this matter is a dead end. Attention to God leads us into what? Open into a precious free life. Praise the Lord. I said focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Alone completely. Absorbing in, in self ignores God ends up thinking more about self than God. The person ignores who God is and what he's doing. Verse number 8 says, and God isn't pleased with at being what? Ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him anymore. Praise the living God. Did you get this? In other words, your focus should not be what you want to do. To be right, to be good before God. Your focus is not, oh man, I'm going to struggle to please God. No. You just allow the spirit in you to do all that you want to do. If you focus in on what you want to do, you focus in yourself. And the Bible says God doesn't enjoy that. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like you thinking about yourself. Anytime you always, oh, I'm not a good man. I'm going to do something to be good. You hurt God. 
Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Yeah. When you try, okay, okay, I must try to please God. I must try. <laughs> you don't try. You just believe. You just accept. You just, you just think about him, what he has done for you. You just thank him. You just appreciate him. You just acknowledge him in your thinking. God is able. God is alive. He's giving me the power. I live with the power. You don't struggle. So anything that you don't like, you just rubbish it off. You got the power. You speak it out of your life. Praise the living God. You just continuously acknowledge the God that's in you. Acknowledge the Christ that is in your life. Your own power and effort can help you. And any time you're struggling to try to please God, it simply means you are ignoring God. And the Bible says he doesn't like to be ignored. Hallelujah. So your human efforts to please God is equal ignoring God. And God is not happy with you ignoring him. He just wants you to acknowledge him. That okay, he lives in me. His life is in me. His life, which is Christ, is given to me. I've lost everything. No more struggles. No more trying to please him religiously. We just trust him and thanking him for what he has done. That who we are, you are a new creature. God is giving you another life, a beautiful life, a perfect life. And now we always say this, love yourself as you love your neighbor. Hallelujah. Why? Because your self is good. Your new self, which is Christ, you must love. And your love for yourself means, permit me to use this word, you're going to pamper the Christ in your life. Amen? Yeah, what you love, you pamper, isn't it? Yeah, so pamper the Christ in your life. And the more you pamper him, the more he grows, the more he feels the atmosphere that you are. A new air is coming around you. A new heaven is opening up on you. You are just free in the air, like the best can be free in the air. Amen? Praise the Lord. This is what the Bible is teaching us about taking up our cross and following him. We are new beings. We took our cross all along. We lose our life long, long time ago. When he went to the cross, everything died there. We came out a new creature. Everything the scripture is telling you now just to remind you what has taken place. Because of your own human effort to do anything amounts to hurting God. You ignoring him. Praise the living God. So friends, this is what it means to take up your cross. It's not telling you to do some struggling things to be able to please God. No, no, no. Scripture is not telling us that. No way. And there is nothing you can do on your own to do what? To please God. Whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. Amen? There's a power in you to walk to please God by your trusting in who God is and what he has done. And realizing that he lives on your inside. Amen? Praise the living God. That is the answer to Paul's struggles. And he said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thank God for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Therefore, there remained no more condemnation to them who are we are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We just receive him. We just walk into him. We just trust that we are in him. He comes into our life. We embrace him. He is our life. Wherever we go, we do this presence. We do this glory. Hallelujah. 
nothing to do with struggling to please the Lord. No, you already pleasing him. This is my beloved son in whom I will please. Hallelujah. So if Jesus is in you, that same word is coming to you anytime, anywhere, wherever you find yourself. This is my beloved son in whom where I am well pleased. He that in Christ, what? Is a new creature. Praise God, somebody. And this is a simple way to crucify the flesh. You took up your cross. You have Christ. He answered a question. Who will deliver me? Thank God for Jesus Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen? And therefore, there remains no more what? Condemnation. Everything you call flesh died long time ago. You just remind yourself about that. And please God. What do you mean to please God? Acknowledge that God lives in you. Any struggle on your personal self equals ignoring God. And ignoring God hurts God. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.